Welcome back, Hemming Brains, to the Hemming Brains Action Hour. It's a podcast where we excellent our way through life. One of those nights where I fell asleep and now I have to do a podcast. <clears throat> so if I sound a bit groggy, it's because I just woke up. Midway through a night's sleep. Alright, we're talking about book 2, chapter 24. Here's the schmoops. While waiting to requite with the Duke, Julian just hangs out and feels bad about his life. He knows he'll never be respected by the de la Mole family and never loved by Matilda. He feels like he's gotten nowhere in life, despite how others might see it. While riding his horse one day, he runs into Prince Korosov, his old bloody buddy from his trip to England. He quickly realizes that if he acted more like Korosov, Matilda would would not have dumped him. Korosov acts like he's totally better than everyone around him, and this is what Matilda is looking for. Korosov gives Julian tips to help him win back Matilda. His main advice is for Julian to start paying a lot of attention to some other women and to always do it in front of Matilda. This will make her jealous. To make things easier, Korosov gives Julian a stack of love letters for him to copy out and give to his new woman one by one. Korosov promises that they will win the woman's heart, making the defeat all the more bitter for Matilda. Julian leaves the, to meet the Duke again, feeling confident that he can follow Korosov's instructions. Swims to the mum fish, he said, apparently the reason that Madame de Dubois as a name is so funny is it combines the aristocratic D with the quintessentially bourgeois Dubois and thus absurd and patently fictitious. Okay, we would have never have known that. <laughs> but there you go. I knew there must be some weird French reason why that's funny. Laura Wise Stitch said, What does everyone think of Korosov's idea? I think it could work. Swim said the mouth as you said, Ha ha, probably. I laughed that he had 52 love letters for every occasion at the ready. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely going to work, although maybe Julian will just end up using this advice to woo some new person, right? That could be the case. Alright, quick one tonight because I am asleep a bit. So let's read the next chapter. Next chapter is called... Chapter 35, The Department of Virtue. But if I sample this pleasure so prudently and circumspectly, it will no longer be pleasure. Lope de Viga. Immediately on his return to Paris, having left the study of Monsieur de la Mole, who seemed extremely put out by the dispatches he received, our hero hurried off to see Comte Altamira. To the distinction of having been condemned to death, this handsome foreigner added great gravity and the happiness of being a very pious man. These two merits, and more than anything, the Comte's high birth appealed considerably to Madame de Fervax, who saw much of him. Julian gravely informed him that he was greatly in love with her. She represents the purest and most elevated virtue, replied Altamira, just a trifle jesuitical and over-emphatic. There are times when I understand every word that she uses, but not that the whole sentence. She often gives me the impression that I don't know French as well as I am said to. Being in her company will make you talked about. 
It will give you some weight in society, but let's visit Boston's added Comte Altamira, who had an orderly habit of mind. He is a man who has paid court to Madame La Marchelle. Don Diego Bustos, while himself not saying a word, like a lawyer in his office, made them explain the matter at length. He had the plump face of a monk with black moustaches and an unparalleled gravity. None of the, nonetheless, he was a staunch carbonaro. I see, he said to Julian at last. Has the Marchelle de Favarx had lovers, or has she not? So is there any hope of you succeeding? That's the question. I should tell you that. For myself, I failed. But now that I am no longer piqued about it, I, re I reason to myself about her as follows. She is often irritable, and as I will describe to you in a moment, she is pretty vindictive. I don't detect in her the hot-tempered impatience that is characteristic of genius and might throw a sort of patina of passion over her every action. On the contrary, it is a Dutch kind of phlegm and tranquillity that she owes her rare beauty and her wonderfully fresh colouring. Julian was becoming impatient with the Spaniard's deliberation and imperturbable, imperturbable calm. From time to time, despite himself, a few monosyllables, monosyllables escaped him. Do you want... To hear me out, Don Diego Bustos asked him gravely. Please forgive the furia Francis. I am all ears, said Julian. The Marechale de Fervax then is much given to hating people. She persecutes without mercy when she has never set eyes on little lawyers, poor devils of literary men who have written songs like Coles, you know. I'm just crazy about my Macy, etc and Julian had to endure a rending of the whole thing. The Spaniard was more than willing to sing in French. Never has this divine song been listened to with greater impatience. When it was over, Don Diego Bustos went on, the Marshal has had a writer of the ditty, a lover at an inn one day. Thrown out of his post, Julian was afraid Don Diego might want to sing this through as well, but he contented himself with a critical analysis. The song really was irreligious, scarcely decent, when the Marshal became angry about this song, Don Diego, I told her that a woman of her rank ought not to read all the idiotic things that are published. Whatever advances are made in piety and sobriety, there will always be a literature of the drinking den in France, and when Madame de Fervax had the author, a poor devil on half pay, deprived of a job worth 1,800 francs, I told her, be careful, you have tackled this versifier. With your weapons, he may reply with his rhymes. You will produce a song on virtue. The gilded salons may be on your side, but people who like a laugh will repeat his epigrams. Do you know, monsieur, that the Marechal replied, All Paris may see me tread the path of a martyr, for the Lord's sake. It will be a new spectacle for France. The people will learn to respect quality of birth. It will be the finest hour of my life and never had her eyes been so beautiful. She had superb eyes, cried Julian. I see that you are in love. Well then, Don Diego Bustos continued gravely, she does not possess the hot-tempered constitution which would make her vengeful. If she likes to do harm, nevertheless, it is because she is unhappy. I suspect an inner discontent. Could she be a prude who has, who has tired of her profession? The Spaniard gazed at him silently for a long moment. 
That's the whole question, he added gravely, and that's where you might derive some hope. Oh, I just lost my spot. Oops. Some hope. Uh, that's where you might derive some hope. I thought about it a, long, a lot during the two years I comported myself as her humble servant. The whole future for you, monsieur, who are in love, hinges on this great problem. Is this a prude, tired of prudery, and spiteful because she is miserable? Or rather, said Altamira, issuing from his profound silence at last, might it be what I have said twenty times? Quite simply, French vanity. It is the memory of her father, the celebrated Draper, that makes this naturally melancholy, repressed character so miserable. There would only be one happiness for her to live in Toledo and be tormented by a confessor who pointed out to her the gaping mouth of hell every day. As Julian was leaving, Altamira tells me, said Don Diego, more gravely than ever, that you are one of us. One day you will help us win our liberty back. So I would like to help you in this little diversion. It would be useful for her, for you, to know the Marechal's style. Here are three letters written by her. I'll go copy them, cried Julian, and bring them back to you. And nobody will ever, through you, hear a single word we have said. Never upon my honour, cried Julian. So God be with you, added the Spaniard, and silently led Julian and Altamira out as far as his staircase. This scene cheered our hero somewhat. He was nearly smiling, and so here is the pious Altamira, he said to himself, helping me out in an adulterous enterprise. During the whole course of this grave conversation with Don Diego Bustos, Julian had been conscious of the hours as they struck on the clock at the Hotel de Alighieri. Sorry. <clears throat> Dinner time was approaching. He was, he was to see Matilda again. He went back in and dressed himself carefully. Blunder number one, he said to himself as he started downstairs, the prince's ordinances must be followed to the letter. He went back to his room and chose a travelling costume of the simplest kind possible. Now, thought he, there's the question of how I am to look at her. It was only half past five and they dined at six. He decided to go down to the salon where he found himself alone. The sight of the blue sofa moved him almost to tears. Soon his cheeks were aflame. I must become hardened to this susceptibility, he said to himself angrily. It will betray me. He grabbed a paper to keep himself in countenance and moved three or four times from the salon to the garden and back. It was only with great trepidation and when he was thoroughly hidden behind a great oak tree that he dared raise up his eyes to Mademoiselle de la Mole's window. It was hermetically sealed. He was on the point of swooning and remained a long time leaning on the oak ladder. Sorry, leaning, leaning on the oak. Then, with wavering step, he went to the neighbor's to the 
I keep picking up words. Then, with the wavering step, he went to the view of the gardener's ladder again. The link of the chain forced by him in, alas, such very different circumstances, had not been repaired. Carried away by a wild impulse, Julian pressed it to his lips. After having wandered a long time between salon and garden, Julian felt horribly tired. This constituted his first success, and he was vividly aware of this. My looks will be dulled and won't give me away. Little by little, guests began to appear in the salon. The door never opened without Julian's heart taking a terrible bound. They sat down at table. At last, Mademoiselle de la Mole, ever faithful to her custom of keeping people waiting, made an entrance. Seeing Julian, she blushed deeply. She had not been told of his return. Following Prince Korosov's advice, Julian looked at her hands. They were trembling. Much upset himself by this discovery, he was fortunate enough merely to appear very tired. Monsieur de la Mole sung his praises. A moment later, the Marquise addressed a word to him, marked, remarked politely on his air of fatigue. Each moment Julian was saying to himself, I mustn't look at Mademoiselle de la Mole too much. No more should my looks avoid her. I must seem as I really was a week before my misfortune. He had reason to be satisfied with his success and stayed in the salon. Now, for the first time, he became attentive to the mistress of the house. He devoted all his efforts to engaging the men of her circle in conversation and keeping up a lively flow of talk. His politeness was rewarded around eight o'clock. Madame la Marechale de Favoux was announced. Julian slipped out and quickly reappeared, dressed with the greatest care. Madame de la Mole was immensely gratified by this mark of respect, and wishing to show her satisfaction with him, talked to Madame Fervax about his journey. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah. Julian sat himself down near to near the Marechal, at an angle where Matilda could not see his eyes. So placed and following all the rules of the art, he gazed at Madame de Fervax with the most wide-eyed admiration. A dis Inquisition of this sentiment formed the opening of the first of the fifty-three letters Prince Korosov had given him. The Marechal announced that she was going to the Opera Bouffe. Julian hurried there himself. He met the Chevalier Bouzvoisis, who led him to a box belonging to the gentleman of the chamber, just to the side of Madame de Fervoque's box. Julian gazed at her constantly. I ought to keep a diary of this siege, he said to himself on returning to the hotel. Otherwise, I'll lose track of my assaults. He compelled himself to write two or three pages on this boring topic and managed also a wondrous thing almost not to think about Madame de la Mole. Matilda had virtually forgotten all about him while he was away on his journey. After all, he is only a common kind of creature, she reflected. His name will always remind me of the greatest mistake of my life. I must return in good faith to ordinary ideas of propriety and honour. A woman has everything to lose by forgetting them. She showed herself disposed at last to sanction the conclusion of her treaty with the Marquise de Cruisnois, which had been ready for so long. He was wild with joy. He would have been greatly astonished to, if told that at the core of Matilda's disposition, which now made him so proud, was a feeling of resignation. On seeing Julian again, all Madame de la Mole's ideas changed. In truth, that is my husband, she said to herself. If I am returning to notions of propriety and good faith, it is clear that it is him I should marry. 
She expected importunings, airs of melancholy on Julian's part. She prepared her responses for surely he would try to say a few words to her as they left the dinner table, but far from it, he stayed firmly in the salon, his eyes not turning even towards the garden. God knew with what difficulty. It will be better to have an explanation with him straight away, thought Mademoiselle de la Mole. She walked into the garden alone. Julian did not appear. Matilda strolled up and down outside the long salon windows. She saw him completely absorbed in describing to Madame de Fervax the old castles that crown and give such character to the banks of the Rhine. She was beginning to be quite adept at producing those sentimental and picturesque phrases he was, sorry, that pass in certain salons for wit. Had Prince Korosov been in Paris, he would have been very proud. This evening party was exactly as he had predicted. He would also have approved Julian's conduct in the days following. An intrigue among the powers behind the throne was about to result in the dispensation of several blue ribbons. Madame la Marechale de Fervax insisted that her great-uncle become the Chevalier of the Order. The Marquise de la Mole entertained the same pretension for his father-in-law. They combined their efforts and the Marechal came to the Hotel de la Mole nearly every day. It was from her that Julian learned that the Marquise was about to become a minister. He was offering the Camarilla, a highly ingenious plan which would do away with the Charter, without fuss and within three years. If Monsieur de la Mole became a minister, Julian might expect a bishopric. But he saw all these great affairs as though av- as through a veil. His imagination grasped them only very vaguely, and in the distance, so to speak, the frightful affliction that was making him behave like a maniac made him see every transaction in life only in its relation to Mon- Mademoiselle de la Mole. He calculated that in five or six years he might succeed in making her love him again. The coolest of heads was thus sunk, as one can see, into a state of complete irrationality. Of all the qualities that had formerly distinguished him, he retained only a little firmness. Faithful in all externals to the plan of conduct Prince Korosov had dictated, he placed himself as near as he could to Madame de Fervac's chair each evening, but he was finding it impossible to think of a word to say. The effort he imposed on himself to seem cured in Mademoiselle de la Mole's eyes absorbed all his spiritual force, and he stayed by the Marechal's side like a scarcely animate creature. Even his eyes, as though in the extremities of physical suffering, had lost all their fire. Since Madame, was a, since Madame de la Mole's way of seeing things was nothing but a replica of the opinions of the husband who might make her a duchess. For several days she had been lauding Julian's merits to the skies. Alright, there we go. There's another chapter, chaptered for you. Have your say at the Hemingway List subreddit. Thanks very much for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.